we will never be the same again. And uh, we need a lot of help tonight in understanding how the scripture comes to us. And, um, and so I'm going to read from verse 10 uh, to verse 13, and uh, we'll dive straight in. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul writing from prison. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I want to remind Christians here tonight that your life has a finish line, and it has a glorious end. You are going to meet Jesus and you are going to see him face to face. And Philippians, and this book of Philippians is a gift to the church to help us run that race really well. And it's also a, a book that is a model for us as a church. This church didn't have many uh, things wrong with it. It wasn't perfect, but it certainly was a church on track in the gospel and with Christ. And um, we've sought to look at this book and go, how do we match up as SBC? And we've looked at the last couple of weeks. If you've missed the sermons, I really encourage you to listen to them online. But Paul is making a case of how to finish this race well. And he says there's a few habits as believers we are to uh, ingrain into our lives. Bryce preached two weeks ago on Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, which was about guarding our joy. As a Christian, you have to guard your joy in Jesus. We also uh, have to guard our peace through prayer. Uh, we are also called to guard our thought life, Mark preached on uh, last week. And all of these weeks are a build-up to the statement that Paul has for us tonight, of that he can do all things through him who gives him strength. And where I want to start is to show you that this Paul, he's absolutely serious about what he's saying. He's a man who practices what he preaches. Uh, he's just said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Mark was making appeal last week of saying, we have to guard our thoughts so carefully, friends. And in this next uh, verse, in verse 10, the first of our text tonight, we see how Paul does this beautifully. And... Uh, it's going to come out of my points, my first point tonight, which is this. God wants us to become experts in looking for his goodness everywhere. I'll say it one more time. Christian, God wants you to become an expert in looking and identifying the goodness of God in every area of your life. And we see it here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, when Paul says the following. I rejoiced. In the Lord greatly, that now at length, after a long time, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, Philippians, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, what is Paul doing here? 
Well, Paul is writing this letter of Philippians to this church because they've sent him a, a, a gift. Paul's in prison. You don't earn money that way, right? If anybody's been there, know the passive income's not really that possible. <laughs> and um, Paul is in distress. He's in need. And these Philippians, after quite a long period of time, they gather this gift and they send it to Paul. And Paul gets this gift and he goes, wow, God, you are so good. I've got to tell these guys thank you. And so he writes this beautiful uh, letter to the Philippians. And um, what's interesting about it is we, we, it comes through the hands of Epaphroditus. Um, we're not quite sure why the gift took so long to get to Paul, but it did. Maybe the Philippians couldn't raise money. We know they were under persecution. People were attacking them for their faith. But eventually they get this gift together. And Paul says in his letter, I rejoice in the Lord that after a long period of time, you, you revived your concern for me. Now, what amazes me about Paul is this. Have you ever had an instance in your life when you were really going through a difficult time and the people you expected to get support from were nowhere? Anybody ever had that? It's hard, right? And if you're going through a time where you, you think, well, maybe it's my friends, or maybe it should be my pastors, or maybe it should be... When you're going through difficult, lonely periods in your life, you're needy, and you, you come to expect that the people you really trust and support you are going to be there for you. And when they are not, it is so painful. And what I am amazed about this man is, although he could have read so much into the silence of the Philippians, it took a long time to show any support. He doesn't allow his thinking to go there. And uh, if you look at Paul, you see a man who's under huge pressure. In Rome, you had preachers standing up in pulpits saying, we're so grateful this Paul's in prison because he's a vagabond. He's a rubbish. He's a troublemaker. And they were spreading slanderous things about Paul publicly. And if I was Paul, I would be sitting in my prison cell helpless to defend myself. Oh, I would have liked to have done that boy. My thought life would have gone as how as soon as I'm out of this prison cell, am I going to set the record straight? And he could have sat there going, man, where are these Philippians? I was chucked into prison for their salvation. I mean, he, was, he rocked up with Silas. He, he came to a prayer meeting. Lydia got saved. And it wasn't long before there was an uproar. He got chucked into prison, the Philippian jail. And, um, he, and in the midnight, there they are singing praises to Jesus, him and Paul and, Paul and Silas. And, and this guy had suffered for them. This guy had laid down his life for them. He, he, he'd, he'd given up even his own comfort. Uh, he traveled miles to get there. And now in his hour of need, there's silence. Let me tell you, it takes a man who believes what he's just said in this letter to respond in this way that Paul says. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Wow. He's saying to these Philippians, I refuse to believe anything other than the best of you. And, and when I thought about you, I didn't let my thoughts get suspicious or, or, or started like read motive into your silence. 
I guarded my mind and my heart towards you. I refused to betray my bond of love with you. And this man, he passes the test. Friends, when he writes these gentle, loving words of saying, you were indeed concerned for me. He said he affirms their heart for him, although they didn't have an opportunity to show it. It is victory in Paul's life in a moment of darkness, of not allowing his thoughts to go to destinations that wouldn't have benefited him in any way. I, I, I just marvel at this man's ability to practice what he preaches. And it's not, this isn't the only instance. You know what else he did? When these guys were giving him such a hard time from pulpits, I mean, imagine your name is being dragged through the mud Sunday by Sunday. You know what he could say in, in chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, and rather getting bitter, you know what he said? He said, you know, Paul doesn't matter. These guys that are attacking me, praise God, they're preaching Christ. Praise God, they're hearing the gospel. Praise God, they're hearing about the mercy of God and how sufficient Jesus is for the forgiveness of sin. And people are getting to hear about Jesus. It doesn't matter what they think about me. It doesn't matter what they say about me. They're hearing Christ. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that spiritual strength? Isn't that beautiful? Wow. You see... What Paul has learned through many difficulties, through the schoolroom of life, he's learned to look for the goodness of God everywhere. I, I want you just to push pause for a moment. I want you to think about the average thought life of your day. You know, last week's sermon really touched home to me. I sat here going, Lord... This is close to home. And when I look at Paul, looking for God everywhere, I see a man who can be in the midst of prison and bless God. That is power, friends. That is, that is a spirit that overcomes with dignity and confidence in Christ. And I want it. I don't know about you. I want it. And his ability to connect every good thing coming to his life with God, it is beautiful. In verse 10, his opening words are, I rejoiced in what? In the Lord, greatly. Why? Because you like me, Philippians? No, because you were the evidence of his love for me. Your gift of money to me was the evidence that he's looking after me. And friends, tonight, I want to say to you, do you join the, God, the dots in your life of how good God is to you day by day, second by second? I, I, try, I was thinking about an example of bringing this across, and I'm preaching on James 1.17, the great verse where James says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming from God, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, a great way of explaining this was using the example of birders. Have you ever heard of the term birders? They're interesting people. You just put up your hand if you ever heard of the term a birder. They're not checking out chicks, right? It's, it's looking for birds in places that normal people don't. That's my best definition. And I was thinking about birders this week, and I was wondering maybe this would be a great example because I've got a brother-in-law who loves this bird, and he will get up at the 
crack of dawn because somebody on Facebook has posted that such and such a bird that looks pretty ordinary to me is somewhere in the vicinity, right? And um, this week I felt a little confirmation because I went to go see a friend and um, he said, Matt, do you want to go birding in the Nahoon estuary? And I was like, well, if you're there, that's fine. Like, yeah. I didn't really think too much about it. I was like, sure, we can go. And we were, so I arrive at his house, and uh, he says, we're about to leave. He said, do you want a pair of binocs? So I'm like, okay, this guy's really serious. We're going to see something, all right? And he puts these binocs over my neck. They weigh a ton, I promise you. I, my neck was aching within seconds, and when I looked at them, I was like, these things are worth more than my car. I mean, they are like cannons, you know. So, and he, he, gets, he gets out this camera, which is like the length of my arm, and off we go, and we're walking to Nahoon Estuary, and you know what the humiliating thing for me is this, guys, I lived 50 meters away from where he currently stays, the same street, I walked in the same estuary for years, and I thought to myself, well, we'll see a mouse bird or two, whoop de doo you know, we rock up there, and typical Matt task orientated, I'm here to connect with my friend, and I'm and he keeps interrupting, he says, Matt, look over there. there, there's a hole, there's a nest where olive woodpeckers stay. Oh, wow. As we walk, oh, look at that beautiful gussie there. It's like, oh, yeah, look, look, there's that bird. We saw bird after, oh, as we're talking, oh, look at the fish eagle. I walked out of there going, Lord, you are everywhere. And I just don't take the time to notice. And friends, that's what he's like. I tell you, I saw two beautiful birds, olive woodpeckers. And, and he was so good. We'd be walking, and he's listening. He's doing life. He's not giving me the cold shoulder. And I talk a lot, right? I was quite impressed with him. And, and as we're walking by, he's like, Matt, look there. And I just realized that's what God is like. You look at your day, he is working. We need to be intentional with looking, and we need the binoculars of the Spirit, this ability to carry these things that weigh and cost a fortune, you know, these things that you can look at anywhere and see the, the goodness of God. And I learned that that was the first lesson from birding, is, is that these birds are there. We've got to look for them. Paul's out there with the goodness of God. It's there. It's everywhere. He's looking for it, and he sees it. He's become trained and expert. But there was something else that I learned. As we were talking, he would stop and say, did you hear that bird? That's, I think, a such and such and such. <laughs> and as we were listening to them, I was like, Lord, you like this too, because we couldn't see them, but we knew they are there. And you know, Paul has this ability to believe the goodness of God, even when it's slow in coming, when you can't see it. And friends, tonight, why are we here? Partly why we are here is because we are getting reminded about the glorious goodness of God in Christ and the way he is working every day. We'll see when Paul's abounding and when Paul has got nothing to show for it. God is working and he's working for our good and for his glory. And Paul's posture is one of saying, I am going to look for it everywhere, whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, I'm going to think about those things. I'm going to seek them out and dwell on them. Now, isn't that a challenge? So simple, right? Can I give you a hint, teens? 
Find people who are like it in your life and learn from them. They are a blessing. Second point is be willing to learn the lesson of every trial. You're, let's read what Paul has to say. He, he's very careful. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's writing a thank you letter, but he wants him to know he's not dependent on them. For I have learned, I have learned, in whatever situation I am to be content. And I was shocked. The Greek is actually self-sufficient. They translate it content. But if you take it in just as it is, it says, I have learned to be self-sufficient. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is Paul doing here in that opening line? He's worried about something. He's finding it tricky to say thank you to these Philippians because he doesn't want to instill in them a sense that he's needy of them, that his confidence is coming from them. He wants to thank them for their kindness, but he does not want to think, them to think he's dependent on them. He wants to make it clear. Guys, although you gave him this gift, I'm dependent on God. I'm grateful, but it's coming from him. And this is what it means for Paul to be self-sufficient. And I wonder tonight, if, if God is doing this in your life right now, Paul's saying, I've learned to be self-sufficient in every circumstance. What does that mean? Well, he said, I have learned to depend on God alone in every situation. God alone is my source of confidence. In other words, Paul has learned in God to stand on his own two feet. He's not having to lean through someone else's faith. He's come to a place of seeing this God can be trusted, and he's going to make him his only source of confidence and supply. Paul's saying to these Philippians, you might, God might have used you, but it was him who was supplying my need all the time through you. And I've learned to see life this way. Now, you know, sometimes in the Christian life, I don't know about you, but you very quickly come to mystery. You go, oh, I don't know how this works. But there's also sometimes when, when we look at the essence of our faith, church, it is so simple. And Paul is saying there's a secret here that he's learned through many, many difficult situations. It's a secret that every believer has to discover personally. That's why it's a secret. You can't learn it from a book. You can't learn it from a podcast. You only learn it in the schoolroom of life. And friends, it's taken years for Paul to learn it, but this is what he wants to share with you tonight. And he's saying you can expect God to do the same in your life. It is this. He's learned how to be brought low. And he's learned how to abound. In any and every circumstance, he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is saying here is saying, guys, in every season of his life, God is teaching him one major lesson. And it's come through in seasons of abundance. That's strange for me. It's like two huge variations. When I've got loads of everything that I want, enough. And when I have got nothing or I'm in such need before God, I, he's needed, God has needed to take him through both kinds of seasons to teach him the secrets. Well, you might ask tonight, why would it be that Paul would need to go through a season of having more than enough of what he needs, abounding? Well, friends, tonight, if you are honest, when things are going well in your life, those are the things you tend to put your confidence in. 
just want to tell you. I'll say it again. When things are going well in your life, those are the things that you start to put your confidence in. Man, I'll be honest. Money, when you've got enough money, the future feels so secure, right? Not many South Africans feel like that at the moment, right? When, when even spiritually, man, your prayer life's on fire. You read scripture, man, it's just coming, and you're kind of saying, guys, you better catch up because I'm going places. You feel so confident. I must be something before God because, man, when I pray, I really feel him. Things are going so well spiritually. What about socially? Man, when I rock up, I know who's going to be waiting for me at youth. I know who's going to be waiting for me at church. I've got my friends. Man, I'm doing well. Well, how about when your health, friends, you, not many of you in this, in this service have experienced this yet, but there are some. Friends, when, when your health is always good, you feel indestructible. Well, what about... Have I said them all? I think those are pretty good. And you know what Paul's realized? He says the only way God has taught him to be totally confident in God alone is when those things are taken away. You see, you don't realize how much you depend on those things until they're not there anymore. And Paul has learned the secret that at the bottom of every trial, the one thing God is wanting from him, it is so simple yet so profound, God is wanting Paul to trust him. That's it. When there's food in the cupboard or when there isn't. When there's money in the bank, when there isn't. When things are going well spiritually, when they are not. When things are going well socially, when they are not. It does not matter the context. What Paul is realizing over and over, when there is much and when there is little, there is a theme of God's instruction in his life. And it is so basic. But unless every Christian walks into it, and that, that secret in the Greek means initiation. It's a secret rite of passage. Until you get what God is wanting to teach you in all of these seasons of life, that he alone is to be trusted and he is trustworthy no matter what, friends, you're going to miss the reason for the trials. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to do that. You know what I love about Paul? He's like you and me. He's learned something about this God. Even when he doesn't get things right, this God never abandons him. You know, to be a Christian before you tonight, you know what it feels like? Is I should not be here. I know my life. I know what's in my heart. I know what really is before God. When Mark, he made a joke at the morning service last week, he was saying, hey, if you saw what was in Matt's mind coming up on that screen, I was like, Lord Jesus, no. If you knew what I deserve from this God, and yet my life has been kept by him undeservedly, and I've watched even when I've wondered, he has brought me back. And sometimes I've gotten it right, sometimes I've gotten it wrong. And friends, just like Paul, I mean, there's some embarrassing moments for Paul when he's fighting with Barnabas publicly, it gets put down in Scripture. That's pretty rough, God. And here you see he makes mistakes. And friends, what he has learned is this God, he never abandons him. And if there's one person who's consistent, that's why you can say these Philippians, it was lovely that you liked me and loved me with your money, but let me tell you, I know who it's from. It's from God's. 
men wax and wane, circumstances change, but there is this one person in my life that is this continual source of constant goodness. It is this God who loves me with his own son. And I've learned, I've learned that when I'm put to the test, he's asking one thing of me, one thing ultimately. Sure, there's some wisdom that needs to be played out in how I respond. But fundamentally, he's saying, Matt, put your name there. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because the rite of passage to get to know God and to see him work in your life is to believe when the evidence is there or not that he is good and he is worthy of my yes. And Corrie Tim Boom said this quote, maybe it's someone tonight, you know, life, if you look at that verse for the Christian, is difficult. When you go back one there, thanks to Let's go. There we go. You, you, you read those words. That is a Christian's experience. And I want to say to you tonight, my friends, maybe there is someone here. Maybe there is someone here who is in desperate trouble. And God is asking you one thing tonight. Will you continue to trust me? And Corrie Tim Boom, she lost everything. If you ever want to read a book, it's called The Hiding Place. It, it, it was such an encouragement to me during COVID. Thanks, you can go one more is she said this, she got thrown into a concentration camp, she lost everything, she even lost her family, they died. And she said this, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And Paul could say, I've learned to abound. I've learned God can give me much and he can give me little. I can trust him regardless. I've learned that when I have Christ, I have enough. Now, I wonder today what you're up against. Friends, we are in a time of trial as a nation and as a people. And I want to ask you, what is your response to the Lord tonight? Because my third point is, uh, is this. We are to believe that impossible is possible through Christ. I'll, I'll share a little secret with you. When Bryce and Mark were preaching the last two weeks, I was sitting right there. And as these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. As you're saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. When it says, whatever is lovely and good and pure, think on these things. I sat there and in my heart of hearts, I said to God, God, this is impossible. And friends, if you are honest about the Christian life today, its call to the human flesh, to the human capacity, is impossible. You know, these, these sentences, I was thinking about this afternoon, of rejoicing in the Lord always, and not being anxious about anything, and, and, and uh, fixing your mind on whatever is good, it is the proof that our faith is a supernatural faith. It is impossible in and of yourself to produce those goods before God. And, and, and I want to be honest with you. When I look at my life, I look at my struggle with anxiety, my struggle with my, my, my propensity to looking for what is critical and not right yet. I, I, I come at this verse 
And I think with this, these, these scriptures, I think to myself, God, this is impossible, but then Paul will not let us off the hook tonight. He says in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's almost the Spirit knows our hearts of going, God, is this really possible to live like this? Yes, it is. Paul's proving it in his response to God in his hardships and difficulties. And uh, friends, I'm hoping tonight, I'm going to give you a little illustration that when you see that verse on a coffee cup next time, you will know what it means. Mark, why don't you come up here quickly? Okay, Bryce, you come up here quickly. How do you apply this verse? It's my last point for tonight. How do you live out, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Well, there's a brilliant story that illustrates this. It's about a man with a withered hand. And he's in a synagogue. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 to 14. And you can read it in your own time, but the same time. There is this man that's attended the synagogue, and we don't know for how long, but he's, won't you give us a withered arm, withered hand there? Okay. Now, this could have been from birth. Birth was a terrible thing for women in those days. Often nerves got damaged, and so babies would come out with deformed or, or, um, or, or, or limbs that weren't working. Or it could have been a stroke. We don't know. But friends, he, it was withered, which means it looked like that. Can you all see? And when Jesus came into the synagogue, he saw the Pharisees sitting there, as well as this man, and he called this man up, and he said, come, I want you to stand in front of these people. And he asked the question. Now just think about how this guy felt. He asked the question to everybody, but particularly to the Pharisees. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they're silent. They're watching. They hate him. And you know what he does? Jesus doesn't help the guy by going, come, let me move your arm, have healing in my name. And suddenly, he can be like a ballet person. Just make your arm with him. Do you know what he does? You know what he does? Just think about this. He says to that man, stretch out your arm. No, no, don't do it. <laughs> what do you think went through that man's mind? Jesus, do you know this thing? It doesn't work. Look at all these people. It hasn't worked for years. Let me tell you what was going through his mind is, what am I going to do? Am I going to say yes to Jesus? Because Jesus is giving him no help. He's just saying on his command, stretch out your hand. And he's got a choice to make. Either he's going to go, I'm going to do this and see what happens, or I'm going to fight Jesus and say that's impossible. And what does he do when Jesus says, stretch out your hands? Did you stretch it out? And what happens is, with the command of Christ comes the power to obey. Thank you, Bryce. Now, that's a simple illustration, but that's what it feels like in your life as a Christian. God tells you to forgive your enemies. You go, what? I have to forgive that person over my dead body? 
Maybe it is to rejoice in the Lord always. Well, how is that going? But maybe it's these things which God is bringing to you, and you've got to step out, and you've got to go to Duncan Village and carry it across. I mean, God could, Jesus could say anything. And friends, we feel like that man. We feel like there is no capacity in me to do this. Oh, but at your command, I'll do it. And it's only when we respond to Jesus' command do we experience the power to do it. I'll say that one more time. That's why it's by faith. When you hear the clear voice of your Savior commanding you to do something, you only experience the power to do it when you actually say, Lord, I'll do it. And this verse, it's two parts. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, what Paul wants us to first land on is to recognize something, is that for Christ, anything is possible. But tonight we make a start. For Jesus, anything is possible. And friends, your response is not, I can do this. Man, I'll be fine in the financial situation. I'll make a plan when the cupboard's empty and the retirement annuity is not performing as it should. And it seems like things are getting worse and worse. Friends, where you start is, okay, I'm going to make a plan. No, that's not where you start. Where you start is saying, Jesus is able to take care of me. Anything is possible for him. You look at in your health, you might have broken health tonight. And I'm saying, Lord, you call him to rejoice and continue to pray and to seek your face with a, with a heart that is, that is happy and full of trust in you. In the natural Jesus, this is not possible for me. But all things are possible for you, I believe it. Maybe you're lonely tonight. Maybe your friends have immigrated. Maybe your friends have abandoned you because of your faith. Whatever the reason, you feel the loneliness of staying close to Christ at the cost of people's approval. And you say, God, this hurts. I want to run back and, and, and be what everything, anything they want me to be so they can accept me. But no, Jesus, I know that you are able to keep me. All things are possible for you. Everything. You know, tonight I was amazed. I think somebody quoted, now to him who is able to do abundantly more. We can ask or imagine. When, when rich people came and stood before Jesus, or he uses him an example, and, and he says it's, it's, it's so hard for these guys to enter into the kingdom. It's harder for a, a, a camel to, or easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And, and the disciples say, well, God, how can anyone be saved? And he says, well, with man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I just, in my heart tonight, I just, I just want to claim back that space in you by the help of the Spirit. That no matter what the depression is, no matter what the situation is, Jesus is able. He's able. I know what psychologists say. I know what financial advisors say. I know what your friends are saying. But friends, what we say to Christ tonight is He is able. He is able. He who strengthens me is able. That's where we start. And we express that by saying, 
Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do. We have a resolve. We recognize Christ is able. We resolve. Paul says, it's not Jesus doing this for me. It says, I can do. I must do them. My obedience to God is an expression of my confidence in him. I might not know the outward plan of where this is all going, but right now my response to Christ is this. I will do what I know is pleasing to him, and he's going to help me to do it. Forgive me tonight. I just have a few things on my heart. It feels like we bring up the excuse of not being obedient because we don't really feel like Christ has won. We, we bring up the, the, the excuse of not doing what he tells us to do because we really underplay his capacity to keep his word. And I just get us, some of us are stuck. We're at this place where we're not moving forward, but we don't want to go back. And the reason why we're not moving forward is because in our hearts, we don't hold the ability of Jesus to do the strengthening, the empowering, for our obedience. That temptation, my friend, it is not bigger than Christ. You might have to put some things in place, but the only way you're going to start facing the reality of sin in your life is believing that Jesus is able to rescue me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You look at Paul, how could he be a man in prison? suffering in the way he did how can he have such joy how can he have such peace how can he have such self-forgetfulness when his reputation is being attacked because he can see christ is able to sustain not only him but all the work that has been done through him he has a vision of jesus that is enough my friends do you tonight the Living Bible paraphrase puts it beautifully, 4 verse 13. I encourage you to download it, put it somewhere. It says, for I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power to do it. You only know, you only know in the obedience what that power is like. You can believe in theory, my friend, Paul is saying, I have learned in practice that this God and his son is enough. That's somebody who's going to put on the tackies and walk through life with God and say, I've learned the secret. I'm going to trust you. Though I don't see any encouragement anywhere around me, I'm going to trust you. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to look for your goodness everywhere. I'm going to remember this good God that hasn't changed all the time. They're watching over me. When I'm praying, I believe he is perfectly in tune and perfectly good to everybody involved. I believe in the promises of his word. I might not see the birds, but I hear the song from scripture, from his people, from, from times of fellowship and, 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 and testimonies and, and, and prayer. I get to know and immerse myself in this looking for the goodness of God. Friends, that's the way Paul wants us to live. You can't keep a people like that down. You can't stop a church like that taking ground. Let's pray.
we want to say together as your people tonight, you're enough. How do we know that? Because on the cross, you said it is finished. And Lord, perhaps there's some here tonight who haven't known what it means to have an all-sufficient Savior. What is the proof that you are able to supply what we need? It's Jesus. You didn't withhold your only son for us tonight. You gave us your best. And he bled and died for us. And Lord, the way that we entered into this kingdom was to say to you, Jesus, I believe, I trust, I trust you. What you did on the cross was enough for the purchase of forgiveness for my sin. That's how it started. We said to you, Jesus, we trust you. We trust your goodness in the cross. We trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe. And on that day, we discovered your goodness, Lord. You've loved us so well. Maybe tonight, that's where you need to start. Have you ever come to Jesus and seen his goodness towards you in the cross? Your journey tonight is to respond to him, to say to him, Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you. Would you say that to him tonight? And then, Lord, for us who, who have walked with you, God, we are praying tonight the same way we receive Christ Jesus. Help us walk in him, to trust him. And we pray that the joy of knowing Jesus is enough. When we abound and when we lack, Lord, I pray tonight that make us a people of great stature, stability, peace, strength, Lord. We're yours tonight. We thank you for these words. We pray, Lord, that you would come and encourage hearts tonight. Strengthen them. Give them grace, Lord, we pray. In your precious name. Amen.